so when it comes to art, for example, art is really subjective. Mm -hmm. You could you could be talking about music or painting or whatever. And one of the difficult things as an artist is that sometimes you'll make something and in your own subjective tastes, it'll it'll be like, yeah, that was okay. But but for some reason, a lot of people love it. And then you'll have something that you think is the most amazing piece of art that you've ever made. And it's kind of met with crickets. Yeah. And you can't do it for those reactions from people. You, you've got to do it because it's something that you love to do because you enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want to add beauty to the world and you want to inspire people with your art and, and allow people to experience joy. But that's a natural byproduct of the love and, and the effort that you pour into the art that you're creating. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ben. What's going on? Nothing much. Yeah. Really? I mean, I'm sitting next to you. So you accomplished something recently. What was that? Um, I finished my NaNoWriMo goal, which was 60,000 words in the month of November. So so you realize you had a whole half of the month left, right? Yeah, I know. I'm kind of a, I'm an overachiever. No, that's okay. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Oh, that's, yeah. That's part of what we're talking about. Yeah, I just, I just saw the topic and I was kind of like, oh, whoa. You didn't, did you know... For those of you who are uh, in the community, in the Sean West community at seanwest.com slash community, in the chat room, there is a schedule button in the left-hand panel. You can click on that at any time and it'll tell you what shows are coming up, what the titles are, and how many days, what time it's going to be uh, broadcasting live so our, our community members can listen live. I love it. I love that we we have that. But... If you're, yeah, if you're ever wondering, what are we talking about today? On the yeah, I know, I know that I can do that. I just haven't been around much lately, so. Yeah. Also, you live in the same house uh, as I do, and you can, <laughs> you can just come up to me and ask me. Yeah. We, we don't often talk about those things in our, like, weekly meetings, so. Yeah. I think sometimes when you work with a spouse, you automatically think that they are privy to all of the things in your head. You know what I mean? Right. Like all of the things that I think of, I think that you know. Wouldn't it be easier if we did just share brain I know, somehow? Exactly. Like we had some kind of network connection. It's, you know, like the, the way computers work where you, or the, I guess the cloud, you put yeah. something on one computer and then it automatically updates to another one. That would be so convenient. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to work on that. Yep. <laughs> it would make married life so much easier. Yeah. So today we're talking about helping your child avoid American Idol Syndrome. I want to bring this in real quick. I, I don't do this often, but this was a comment that I got from one of our community members. Her name is Kelly. This was in the chat room. Mm -hmm. Kelly Lockett said, I just started listening to your podcast the other day on episode eight now. I don't have any kids, but I feel like I can apply a lot of it to myself. 
I feel like I'm still trying to work on being a more self-sufficient, on being more self-sufficient. And your episodes help me, quote unquote, parent myself in a way. Hmm. So I really like that. And I've gotten, we've gotten some reviews to that effect from folks who don't have children yet, who aren't raising families, but, but say that the things that we talk about are really beneficial. And that goes back to one of our core beliefs. And I'm going to share that real quick. Um, one of our core beliefs is that children are people. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a simple idea, but when you really start looking at the things children need to learn and and the things that we're trying to teach them and guide them in as parents, you realize that at some level, we're all still working on these things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things that we don't even realize need attention in our lives when it comes to the way that we relate with our spouse, with our coworkers, with our friends, uh, are things that we talk about here on the show. I also just want to bring in that, you know, our parents were not working with the same kind of knowledge that we have now. And so in, in some ways it does feel like we have to parent ourselves because they, they just didn't know as much as we know now or, or that we have the ability to know now. And so some of these, you know, some of these psychological things, this brain science stuff, we, we can use it to make ourselves into better people, I guess. Yeah. Now, now I will say the knowledge is great. There are so many great books and, and there's so much new data about child development and about psychology and all of those things. But where those things, where that knowledge really becomes useful to you is when you put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I still feel like I'm, I'm trying to grasp is is sometimes we feel good, you know, like we, we think about, Oh, look at all the, these new things that we know and we feel good about that. But if we're, if we're not practitioners of that knowledge, it's not really a benefit to us. And so I I just want to encourage you. That's part of the purpose of this show is to give you some ideas for how to put some of this knowledge into practice and, and really allow it to benefit your life. But also that we will never be able to practice it perfectly. Exactly. Yeah the knowledge can also be a trap. So you, you look at all of the things that you know and feel inadequate because mm-hmm. you're not seeing that knowledge lived out in your daily experience. So, so the practice of it really shows you just by necessity that you're going to fail and you're going to make mistakes and that you're not always going to get it perfect mm-hmm. and that that's okay. I think, I mean, the end result is not the goal in my opinion. It's the journey there. Yeah. So. So, so today's topic, um, helping your child avoid American Idol Syndrome. I think the reason I went into that was because I feel like this is something, well, obviously, if you watch American Idol or those kinds of shows, many adults still struggle with what, what I'm calling American Idol Syndrome. I didn't come up with that. I, prob- I think I heard it somewhere. But I want to define that for folks real quick. And before I get into my definition, what do you think American Idol Syndrome is, Rachel? Well, I, I mean, I think of the American Idol tryouts and how some people would go try out and not even realize that they didn't necessarily have the talent of singing, but they were so, conf- they were so confident in themselves that they were just able to, you know, bust out this ear-hurting melody that wasn't really a melody. 
Yeah. And so, so to me, American Idol syndrome is, is kind of that, that thing that is like, I'm just the best at everything and I can do whatever I want. And, you know, I mean, we were told as kids, you can, you can achieve any dream that you have and anything that you want to do with your life. But I, but I think that it, it needs to be filtered through things like talent and what we're willing to put in the work for. Yeah. So, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, we do, I mean, we have an international audience, so. Oh yeah, that's true. I wasn't thinking about. (laughs) Oh no, that's okay. American Idol is a show and, and I think they're similar, you know, like talent shows and and stuff like that. That's been kind of a, a fad lately, but American Idol, uh, was a singing contest where people would come on and they would stand before the judges and they would try out and, part of part of what made the show fun and interesting and funny was that the judges the the preliminary judges weren't the celebrity judges you know they were just people people went to convention centers and would line up and it would be thousands of people going through this process and so the preliminary judges would look for people who were were really bad humorously bad mm-hmm. and would send them through just just so that they would have the experience of being ridiculed on national television. Which always made me feel really sorry for those people. But at the same time, they had no clue. Nobody had ever told them that maybe this was not something that they could do. Well, and and I, you know, I wonder how much of that was staged or yeah. how much of that was authentic. But but there were people who were not not very good singers and who who seemed to genuinely believe that they were amazing almost to the point where when the, when the judges, the celebrity judges, some of which didn't pull any punches when it came to offering critique would say, you're actually very terrible. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, the, the, the singer, uh, the contestant wouldn't believe them. would be like, well, you guys are obviously on drugs or something because I'm awesome. <laughs> And so that, that obliviousness, you know, that's a very exaggerated form of it, but that, that obliviousness to one's skill level can be harmful, um, especially if your child grows up in an environment where they're never faced with the reality of, of where they are and they get out into the real world and, and experience somebody who doesn't pull any punches, who just tells them as, you know, like it is, if if your child's identity is mm-hmm. wrapped up in that skill, it can be p- uh, potentially crushing. It can, yeah, it can be devastating. So, so that's that's definitely one part of my definition for American Idol. Um, I brought in a couple of other parts because I feel like they're related, though they seem different. But one is uh, idealism about success, and so that's looking at celebrities and and thinking in terms of their skills, whatever industry they're in, whether it's, whether it's acting or design or painting or whatever, looking at their industry leaders and thinking, oh, that's the end all be all of, you know, like I've got to get to that level and not really understanding the relationship between the work that they have to put in and the journey they have to go, you know, letting, letting that be the pinnacle instead of the journey there, you know, like you were talking about earlier with, Mm -hmm. So, so that's part of it. And then the, the other part is kind of the 
opposite of the person who's oblivious to their lack of talent is somebody who doesn't believe in their gifts or is too hard on themselves. Hmm. So you call that an American Idol syndrome too? Or is that different? It, I, I would I would think that was different. It is it is different, but it has the same root. And some of it has to do with the American like it's it's all a part of the same ugly problem. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's that's why I wanted to bring it in. Okay. So the root of the problem is 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 the person's identity, regardless regardless of what's what their expression of this is, their identity is wrapped up in their ability. Their their self worth is tied to how good they are at a thing. Mm-hmm. So in in the person who is oblivious to their lack of talent, they don't they're they're either unable to or unwilling to face criticism. It's easier for them to just believe that they're good because, uh, well, I'll, okay, I'll get into that. So they, their identity is wrapped up in that. The person who's idealistic about success is in love with the idea of celebrity. Mm-hmm. The person who doesn't believe in their gifts or is too hard on themselves probably is dealing with some form of perfectionism. Hmm. And this is all tied to self-worth. The person who is oblivious to their, or seems oblivious to their lack of talent. I think what's really going on there in most cases is that it's easier for them to believe that they're good and not to face criticism because if they trace that back, you say, okay, well, what if I actually open myself to, up to criticism and I find out that I'm not good enough? Mm-hmm. And if I find out that I'm not good enough, what if that means that I'm not worth anything? And if I'm not worth anything, what if that means that no one's going to love me and I'm going to be alone? Mm-hmm. And if I'm alone, this and this goes back to the our need to be in community, mm-hmm. right? And and have that support system. And so there's there's a danger in their mind because their self worth is tied to their ability. There's a danger there that if they're faced with reality, all of that is going to go away. Mm-hmm. And so they they keep perpetuating this lie for themselves. Celebrity is a similar thing. Celebra- a, a lot of people love celebrities, right? So you, you look at celebrities and if they have a ton of fans or if they have a ton of followers, oh, that person, that person is loved by a lot of people. And that love is kind of a replacement for the need for community. If a lot of people love you, if a lot of people follow you, then you're more secure, right? Mm-hmm. And that's... That's kind of the the lie that's going on there. And then with the perfectionism, it's it's all about I need to be better so that I can be good enough, so that I can be loved, so that I can be secure in community. So you see how it's all tied to the same thing? Mm-hmm. The more secure our children are in their identity, the, the more they believe in their inherent self-worth the more freedom they have to explore and grow in different skills and actually be open and receptive to criticism. And so we're going to talk about how that works practically, how we as parents can foster that sense of self-worth and also guide them in their, in their growth and their skills and their self-awareness. Mm-hmm. 
So the the most important thing, the the cornerstone is reinforcing your child's sense of self-worth. And you do this by the obvious things. It's it's spending time with them, it's um doing things that they enjoy and and just expressing love to them that's not tied to some condition. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to their skill or whatever it is they're doing, you want to avoid language that ties your child's worth to their skill. So we've we talked about this before, using language like proud for versus proud of. So so, so pride is something that your child gets from you by virtue of the fact that they're your child. Mm-hmm. That's their inherent that's part of their inherent worth and and you're proud of them. That's not tied to what they do. So but you can you can feel pride for their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. So so you you're not saying, "Oh, I'm proud. I'm proud of you for doing that." You say, "I feel I feel proud for you." And I know that's a very subtle difference, but and your child may not recognize the nuance in that. Yeah. But but talking about it that way helps you as the parent to be really intentional about thinking about pride in a different way. Yeah. And that's going to, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, we see, we can see this subtle difference more clearly as adults, because if you think about when somebody says, I feel proud of you. And it's, it's almost like when you hear that, you feel like maybe you need to do, do more of what you just did. Right. Yeah. To, for, to, to get whatever, you know, whatever little reward that you can get. Yeah. So it's like, well, if I don't, if I don't keep performing well and, and achieving things and doing well, is this pride going to go away? Right. You don't want for that to be a question in your child's mind. And then when someone says, I'm proud for you, it's like they're joining in that, that pride. Yeah. They're not, they're not feeling it over you. They're joining in it with you. Right. So. So I want to talk about as a parent, how to, how to critique. So again, it's really important that our child has a healthy sense of self-worth, that their identity is not attached to their skill. And so before you can offer critique and help them grow in a specific skill that they're interested in, you may have to do some work up front because offering critique when their identity is still firmly wrapped in their skill mm-hmm. can be harmful. Either they're not going to hear it or they're going to take it very personally. Yeah. So, so you may need to do some work up front, reaffirming that sense of self-worth. And it may even come to having a, an explicit conversation with them about what they're worth to you and that it doesn't matter how good they are at this or that, um, that you're going to love them the same, that you're always going to support them and be there for them. Just the just sitting down and having that conversation can be really impactful. And so you want to make sure that's in place first. And then if you're going to offer any kind of critique, only do so where you can be objective. And you can only be objective when you have some level of experience or expertise. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be a master. Mm-hmm. But offering subjective critique is most often not helpful and ends up pointing back to their self-worth because it's 
because that has more to do with what you think of it. Um, I wanted to throw something in here too, because I'm super fascinated with the work of Carol Dweck who did all kinds. She has a book called, I can't even remember what her book is. I'm sorry, but um, she is kind of the pioneer of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Okay. And I think that's helpful in the critiquing part because as parents, we can help our children learn that just because they don't have these skills right now doesn't mean that they won't ever have them. So, you know, if they can't carry a tune right now, there are things that we can do to fix that possibly because they can, you know, they can take voice lessons or they can learn more about music or they can find something else in music even to do if they're not, you know, as great at being a singer. But, but the point is to show our children that what they're born with is not what they're fixed with. Because right. there is always an opportunity to grow. So so for me, if one of our children is writing a story and I notice that the character arc is a little bit stale, then that doesn't mean that he's not meant to be a writer. Because most writers, when they start, have really flat characters. And so my job as a parent is to help t- teach him how to make characters that are fascinating. Yeah. And... um. And, you know, some of those things only come with practice, but I think it's, I think it's really important to let them know that this is something that they can grow into. Uh, it's not necessarily something that's fixed and done with. Absolutely. So I really, I really love the example that you just gave too, because it, it illustrates the point really well, because of your expertise in writing and the things that you understand, you're actually able to provide some really valuable critique. And, and that's, that's the thing that some people, when I mean, as an adult, there were things that I had my identity wrapped up in. I'm sure there are many things that I have mm-hmm. my identity wrapped up in, but but there were things that I had my identity wrapped up in and I didn't want to hear critique because I was afraid of what that meant for me. Yeah. So when when those things are separate, when I'm secure in my own self-worth and my identity is not wrapped up in in my skill, I'm able to receive those critiques and they actually become, instead of being something that's potentially hurtful or harmful, they become extremely valuable. It, it's, it's a way for me to now grow. Yeah. And, and so the, the thing that you want to ask yourself as a parent who might want to offer some critique is, is, is what I'm going to say a tool that my child can use to grow in their ability do I have the knowledge and the expertise to be able to offer that to them? And if not, it's okay to say, so, so for example, if they ask you, how was that? Or did, did you like that? It's okay to say, you know what? I actually don't know enough about it to, to offer you any, well, okay. So maybe if they ask you something more like, um, what could, what could I do better? Or did I, did I do that right? You know, focus on, focus on the execution of it. Um, but you may have to answer, you know, I don't know enough about that to offer you good advice. And that's okay. What you can also do as a parent is you can seek out mm-hmm. people who can offer some some critique, who do have more expertise and the ability to provide critique as a tool to help your children grow. Mm-hmm. There are times when, uh, I, I wanted to say this, there are Sometimes when subjectivity can be valuable, but you have to be really careful with it. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and again, all of this has to come, 
under your child having a secure sense of self-worth. So I want to talk a little bit about how to encourage. This is kind of going to uh, speaking more to the perfectionism, but, but how to encourage without, again, attaching your child's worth to their skill. So you want to point to things that are peripheral to that skill that are actually a part of your child's identity. So things like you can do difficult things. Mm -hmm. That is, that is a part of their identity that doesn't have anything to do with their skill, but it's, it's a part of their identity that they can call upon in order to, to work toward mastery of whatever skill they want to work on. So, and, and even pointing out something as simple as like, if your child is trying to draw a house and I think this happened just the other day for us where um, our five-year-old was like, I want you to draw a house for me. And I said, well, I don't want to draw a house because I want to see your house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he kind of sat there for a minute and thought about it. And then he started drawing and, you know, it's hard, it's hard to tell a five-year-old that he's got a good picture because five-year-olds aren't all that great at drawing yet. But what we can praise instead is the way that he didn't give up in that because he, you know, he wanted a parent to do it for him because he knew that it would look more like a house. Yeah. But he did it himself. And so the thing that, the thing that I said was, you know, you didn't feel like you could do that, but you did. And that, that really takes some, some grit and some, you know, perseverance. And those are really good qualities to have. And we can praise those kinds of things because those are the things that are going to help our kids pursue their passions. Yeah. So, so things like, you can do, you can work hard. You can learn things that you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it was, it was, you didn't think that you could do that. And then you, you tried, you took a risk and you did it. Mm-hmm. And then it's not about the quality of the picture, or whether technically it looks like a house or if it's, you know, something that would be artistically sound. It really is about, it's about the effort. It's not about the results. And when we celebrate those qualities and we encourage those qualities, those qualities actually drive success in many areas of life. And so there, there are tremendous benefits to making those qualities the focus. And, and again, we want to be careful not to tie those things to their inherent self-worth, but those are parts of our child's identity that we can, that we can call out. Mm-hmm. And, and there's also, so kind of with the picture example, there's something that you can do instead of when they say, look at my picture of my house, instead of saying something like, oh, that's a really nice house. Try to make objective observations about Mm -hmm. the picture. Like, oh, wow, you, you used a really dark green on the grass or you, you filled the entire page with color. Mm And, and it's, it's kind of a funny thing to do. It takes a little bit of practice. It doesn't come naturally. I, I think sometimes of when I'm distracted and I'm doing something else and they yeah. come over and they want to show me something I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not listening to you right it's now. Usually... So it does, it does require giving some focus and attention and being creative in the moment. But the more practice you have of looking for those things that you can say as observations that that way instead of them looking for looking from you for whether or not 
what they created is worth something, mm-hmm. they make those determinations for themselves. Yeah. I also, another thing I like to do is when, when uh, one of the, the boys says, what do you think of this? Or do you like this? I'll turn the question back around on them and, and I'll say, well, what do you think of it? Mm-hmm. Because I want to, I, I want them to think about their feelings and their thoughts about it first. Yeah. And not be tied to someone else's opinions about it. I also, dang it. I just lost it. Okay. You're going to have to keep talking and it'll come back to me. No, that's okay. I, I, I'm going to uh, bring in this question from Charlotte. She said, do kids sense that you've changed the way you word it? My kids would look at me like I was crazy if I commented on choosing a dark green. So that was, that was off the top of my head. This is something I'm still practicing on, but you, you can be creative. And you know, if, if they're old enough to get the difference, it's absolutely okay for you to sit down and say, you know, the reason I didn't tell you, oh yeah, I like it is because I don't want to, and you can go into that explanation with them and help them understand and and this is another way that you can reinforce their inherent sense of self-worth. You can you can help them understand that you don't you don't want to tie your opinion of their skill to how much they're worth to you. And so you choose to talk about the things that they share with you in different ways. Yeah, and and Hannah said uh in the chat, she said, I like to praise the progress they have made from their hard work. And I was going to say for things like projects that they're doing and stuff like that, or even books that they're reading, this happened with our six-year-old the other day. And he, he came to me because um, he's had a kind of a hard time finding the books that he likes to read. And so I think we finally stumbled on some that he really likes to read. And so he was so excited. He came to me and he said, mama, I almost finished this one book in a whole day. And so I just kind of repeated like, oh my gosh, a whole book in one day, you know, because yeah. that takes a lot of work for a kid to just sit down and read for that long, you know? And yeah, so I can't even do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it was only 80 pages, but still. <laughs> I can't even do that. Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> just, just uh, praising some of the progress they've made and, and what that takes, you know, it takes patience for a kid to sit down and just read for that long and yeah, be does. focused for that long. So, so things like that are, um, more character traits than they are outward things. And so those, those are the kinds of things we want tied to our kids' identity because what they learn is that whenever they have big, big projects, they have the ability to get to the end of those. Yeah. Now, that's, that's not to say that you can never express your personal feelings about something that, that they've done or right. about their skills. But it's really important to make a distinction between the two things. There's observation and objectivity, and then there's subjectivity. And you want to be careful not to tie that to their identity. So you can tell them, yeah, I really, I really love that. That's what I think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of it? You know, and, and just the, the principle there is that your feelings and your thoughts about them belong to you. Yeah. You're not forcing your thoughts and opinions about them. They don't they don't have to inherit those from you. Yeah. They can have their own thoughts and opinions about the things that they do and accomplish. Yeah, and and also I want to make sure that parents realize that we're not saying that every single time you can't say something like, "Oh my gosh, I love this." Right. Because the the thing about it is 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 that if we are being 
careful with the times that we say that, the times that we do say it are going to matter so much more. I mean, there are times that my eight-year-old has brought me these comic books that he's written and, you know, he, he writes them all the time. And then there have been certain instances where he's brought me one and it's just like completely brilliant. And usually the first thing I do is like take a picture of it and send it to my mom. And he knows that those times are the times that I'm just like, this is really, really good, you know? And because I'm a writer, he, he understands that he has the, the ability to do that. And he, he also knows that when I talk to him about things like story arc and those kinds of things, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when we recognize how good our children's things are, they have even that much more respect for the things that the critiques that we have to give them. Yeah. I, I definitely don't want to burden you with the fear that if you respond in the wrong way, it's going to create, you know, yeah, the create, but, <laughs> so I want you just to keep these things in mind as you're interacting with your children and, and not let them be something that completely rule you and, and make you feel like you've got to watch every single interaction. I, I also, I was trying to think of how we would bring this into sort of an adult world too. Um, and, and if you think about the times that people have just been like, oh, that's really great. It, it's kind of an empty praise almost because the question then is, well, what's great about it? Yeah. And so what you, what you really want to know is, you know, details. And that's kind of what we're giving our kids is the details of, you know, things that they executed well. Yeah. So, and, and, and something, uh, a symptom of your child maybe taking on some form of American Idol syndrome or, or having their identity wrapped up in their skill is that if you, if you do praise them, you see disappointment from them if you don't have the same response from something else they've made, or you see them trying to shape whatever it is they're doing and make it to where it will be something that you mm-hmm. like or appreciate. Mm-hmm. And that's it, so, so when it comes to art, for example, art is really subjective. Mm-hmm. It, you could be, you could be talking about music or painting or whatever. And one of the difficult things as an artist is that sometimes you'll make something and in you, your own subjective tastes, it'll, it'll be like, yeah, that was okay. But, but for some reason, a lot of people love it. And then, you know, you'll have something that you think is the most amazing piece of art that you've ever made. And it's kind of met with crickets. Yeah. And you can't do it for those reactions from people. You, you've got to do it because it's something that you love to do because you enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. And of course you want to add beauty to the world and you want to inspire people with your art and, and allow people to experience joy. But that's a natural byproduct of the love and, and the effort that you pour into the art that you're creating. Mm-hmm. And design is a little bit more cut and dry. And, and we're talking about not just, not just design, like graphic design, but anything that solves a problem or any skill that, that meets a very obvious need. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's real objectivity to that. And so as the parent, if whatever it is the child is designing or doing that that meets a more obvious need, if you're not the target market for that, that could be confusing for the child when you say, "Oh, that's great," because then they'll think, "Oh, I've got to cater it to," you know, I, 
I feel like that was getting a little bit complex. Yeah. But I hope the the basic concept landed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm actually, I'm doing a lot of thinking out loud with this episode because it's just a really interesting issue. It, I, I grew up as a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. In many ways, I, I still am. And some of that has been, you know, my my desire to make something that that makes a specific person smile, you know, has led me to creating some really beautiful things. But I always ask myself, you know, how much, how much more could I have done if I wasn't worried about what this person thought or whether or not I would be as valuable to this person if I didn't make this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I grew up, I mean, I'm still a recovering perfectionist, so super hard on myself, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. And this last part I wanted to talk about was avoiding idealism. And this is, this is going back to the, the idealism of celebrity and, and thinking, oh, I've got a, you know, I, I want to have a lot of people love me. And, I'll, and, and if that's, if I can, then I'll be secure. And, and that's, you know, that's really similar to the perfectionism thing. The perfectionism thing really is is generally a lot more centered and and focused on maybe a single person or or a few people. I well, I know for me it's just myself. Yeah. Like I have this standard that I have set for myself that I have to get to. It well, you, it doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Well, it, I mean, okay, so so you have the standard, but the reason you have the standard is because you're trying to you feel like you need to meet those expectations in order to be worthy of the love of somebody. Yeah. At its and heart, that, yeah. And and right now, you may not even know who that somebody is. That may be, that may be something that uh, you experienced in your past, whether it was maybe your parents got divorced and left or you had a, a parent or a guardian who was detached and and didn't really give you any attention unless you did something significant. And then, you know, you grow up, but you have these habits in place and you don't know where they come from, but you just work in that mode. You've, you've made your own standards so high that now you've kind of locked yourself in. So all, all of that again comes back to your identity and, and your self-worth. And if, if you're, if you're worth enough, then people will love you and accept you as a part of community and you'll have the safety of that. And so with idealism, what, what people really want is significance. They want to, they want to be significant enough so that enough people will love them. So they'll, they'll be secure in community and they're just looking for that in the wrong place. So one of the most important things that we can do to avoid idealism is just fostering a sense of community for our children. Don't let your immediate family be the only meaningful relationships your child has. And this is, this is hard. This is one of those hard things about being a parent, especially being a parent who works for themselves and all of the busyness that goes with that. It can seem like sometimes, oh, we just don't have time. We don't have room in our lives for outside relationships. But the more you, I mean, it's, not only is it healthy for your kids, but it's healthy for you. You've, you've got to have community and you can, you can find it in many different ways, but 
but getting getting those meaningful relationships outside of your your immediate family will bolster their sense of community will help them to feel even more secure in their own self-worth and it'll remove their need to find significance in celebrity and then again you know going back to the the celebrating the effort encouraging the effort and not the results you know that idealism has everything to do with the results of great effort you know people just every every once in a while there's that Cinderella story right where somebody gets lucky or whatever but 99.9% of the time hmm. anybody that you see who has achieved some kind of celebrity or great success has worked extremely hard to get there yep agreed and that also goes back to um our kids seeing us working hard because you know when we when we share with them these creative things that we do they realize that it does take work and they are they are going to be required to put in a lot of time to learn and to grow and even to just accomplish something as simple as i don't know a masterpiece i guess that's not really yes. simple yes but. <laughs> it's as simple as a masterpiece <laughs> you know yeah walking walking is really hard <laughs> when you're when you're a baby i w- i always like to think of that when when the boys say it's so hard i can't do it i say well you know what once upon a time you didn't know how to walk and then you just kept trying and trying and you kept falling on your butt and mm-hmm. all right we're going to go ahead and get into some questions okay so this first one is from Corey miller he said what are some good alternatives to effectively lying to my children when they're really terrible at something but want to improve? Or they just love doing it, even though they're just plain awful at it? Mm-hmm. So this goes back to making observations, um, focusing on the effort and not the, not the results. But sometimes, sometimes we, this is, this is the interesting thing. Sometimes we're really good at doing things that we don't really love. Sometimes we love doing things that we're not really good at. Yeah. You know, and, and where, where the two intersect, where we're really good at something and we love doing it. That's first of all, a gift when, when you can recognize that that's a gift, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have other things in your life that you love doing that you're not really good at. So, I don't know how to answer that question other than to say, you know, always, always reinforce the inherent worth of your child. And as much as you can try to make observations and focus on the effort that they're making, even, even say things like, you really love doing that, don't you? Mm -hmm. I would also say that eliminating the words good or bad or um, really terrible or really great. I think eliminating those things from our praise vocabulary also helps with um, the need to tell our kids when something is really terrible because they will see for themselves eventually because they're not um, dependent on somebody else's opinion. And I think about some of those kids who would go to the American Idol tryouts and just really be genuinely think that they were really good And it's probably because they had, I mean, they would tell stories about how their parents had told them, you're so great and that kind of thing, you know? And so I think that's where our kids become blind to 
evaluation is when they're so dependent on our thoughts on what they do. And, you know, no parent really wants to tell their kid, wow, this is really bad, you know? So of course we're always going to lean toward the positive, but if we're, if we're just eliminating those opinions from our praise anyway, um, they're going to figure that out for themselves. You know, kids are pretty smart. They can, they can see, I mean, I mean, they can understand things like, wow, I can't really sing the melody unless somebody is telling them that they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it's something that, again, you don't have the expertise or the knowledge to be able to give them objective critique, you know, bring them. Oh, okay. You know, this works on the other side too. I want to bring in another question. This is from Gabrielle. She says, an inverse of this topic, how do I bolster their view of their own talent without being misleading and giving them and, and, and giving them the confidence to keep growing? So if you can offer objective critique or objective observation about their skill level, mm-hmm. um, doing so can really help. But you also may not be the most credible source for them. We experience this all the time. Um, even even in our relationship, you'll tell me things or I'll tell you things. I'll, I'll share something that I've learned with you. But it's not until we hear it from a source that we see as credible for that specific type of information that we really accept that as truth, mm-hmm. you know? So, so for our children, it may be that you need to bring them to somebody who they might see as, Oh, this person really can give me an objective critique or observation about my skill level. And that doesn't, that doesn't always solve the problem of somebody being hard on themselves. You also still have to do the work of helping them understand that, that whether they're great or just good or bad at something that you're going to love them the same either way. Mm-hmm. But that coupled with somebody's objective observation of their skill level can help them to not be as hard on themselves to adjust their thermostat for what, you know, what their skill level should be and their expectations of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just supporting our kids too can speak volumes. Absolutely. If you, if your kid is really good, but you, you recognize that they're really hard on themselves and then they come home one day and, and, and again, this is because you, you know, wow, they're, they're really good. They come home one day and the guitar that you know they would love to have is just sitting there on their bed waiting for them. (laughs) That, that can speak. That's from your childhood. Don't. You didn't get, you didn't ever get it. No, I did. I got it as a graduation present. Oh, okay. I did. So, but, but that can, yeah, that can speak volumes when you show your support in other ways. It doesn't always have to be verbal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Sharla asks, how about the sticky situation when one child is particularly strong in an area, but the siblings aren't so gifted in that? Hmm. How can we encourage one in their particular talent independent of each other? Comparison is a real, I mean, even if you're not the one making the comparisons, they, uh, children, people have a tendency to compare themselves against one another. Mm-hmm. And again, this comes back to the sense of self-worth. If I've, if I don't have a healthy sense of self-worth, then I want to compare myself with, with another person because on the one hand, if I'm looking at somebody who seems more skilled than I am, 
and it seems from the outside like they've got more support and they've got more of a community around them, then it's going to make, it's going to drive me to want to do more and improve, but in an unhealthy way, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be down on myself and I'm going to think, well, I'm just not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Or on the other side, I might look at somebody who's less talented and, and feel like, well, I'm doing pretty good, you know, and, and that all comes back to that unhealthy sense of self-worth. And so it's, it's just a natural thing that we do, but, but something that we can do as parents to help our children get out of that is to really focus on their inherent self-worth and, and their unique worth, you know, say, you know, you're a unique individual. I love you for who you are, not because you're good at this thing. And then from, you know, from that foundation, then you can offer critique as it's useful. Yeah. And I'm trying to think how I would answer that question with, um, with our kids, because our oldest is really, really talented with, um, specifically comic book type writing because he enjoys writing comics and drawing the pictures. And he's got a really neat style, a really great voice on the paper. And I'm trying to think how we would encourage that in a way that was different from, you know, the things that we encourage with our other boys. So the six-year-old is really good at, I mean, he's, he's got an art talent as well, but he, um, he uses a lot of color a lot of um, just beautiful, you know, beautiful drawings is what I, I kind of get from him. Um, so it doesn't have quite, I mean, it has a little bit of personality, but it's not quite as much. So I think the important thing is encouraging them in each of their different manifestations of yeah. that talent and n- being sure not to compare, you know, because kids can get really good at comparing each other too, because I've heard it from our eight-year-old who's like, Oh, well, you didn't draw that person very well. Look at mine, you know, and it's yeah, like, so, so your kids can feel a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm really good at this and you're not that great. And, but I think that just focusing on the things that they do well and helping them, because if you look across the board at art, there, there, sorry, at art, there is not one style that is known to be like the masterpiece style, you know? I mean, there are so many different forms of art. And if we can help our kids find their own form and not try to be someone else's form, then we are setting them on their own individual journey, which I think is really important because there are so many. I mean, I even struggle with this sometimes myself. There are so many of us trying to live someone else's journey. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's because we see these things and we think that we want them and Maybe it's not, maybe it's not for us. And so helping our kids be able to find their own journey and just like focus on it and run hard toward it is, I feel like that's one of my goals as a parent. Yeah. And, and, and that can be such a huge mindset shift, but, but it's so good to encourage that in our children. It can come down to something as simple as the language that we use, you know, going back to, to making those observations when you're, when you're doing that in your children's hearing, if you, if you say, Hey, I really like all of the color that you used, Mm -hmm. your other child might feel like, well, if, if I don't use a lot of color, then they're not going to like this. Right. 
But uh, you can open up those conversations with them and say, you know, we all do things differently. And this is what you do differently. This is what I see as your unique talent, you know? Yeah. And and don't say, wow, you you used way more color than your brother did. Right. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. We can't compare. <laughs> all right. Last question. Aaron Dowd. Aaron Dowd. The Aaron Dowd. The podcast dude. He asks... How do you know if you or your child are being overconfident or too entitled? So that's an interesting question. Over, so confidence is good, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But overconfidence is it is really an inflated sense of ability. Well, inflated around other people too, like thinking of yourself comparatively to other people is kind of how I think of it. You know, you think of the overconfident people and it's, they're the people who make you feel like you're just not as good as they are. Yeah. So, so how do you know, like, what are the symptoms of that? That's a really great question. If you have the knowledge and expertise to be able to make objective observations of your child's skill level and you see them, acting as if they have a skill level that's beyond where they truly are. I mean, that's, that seems like an obvious answer, but, but if you don't have that expertise or that knowledge, you may have to look outside and, and you may feel a sense of that, but it, it's probably going to seem pretty obvious. Now, now what I would say can help you avoid that is, uh, offering that critique where you can, exposing them to the critique of experts that has a way of one being a tool for growth, being being useful information for helping us grow in our skills, showing us where we need to improve. But it also has a way of keeping us humble when we're exposed to that. Mm-hmm. And so, don't I I I, I want to really drive this point home. Don't be afraid that you're going to hurt your child's feelings or or their sense of self-worth if you give them critique. Their their sense of self-worth needs to be secure and, and you need to do the work up front to make sure that they understand that they are loved and supported no matter what. But but when they do, critique is a gift. You know, it, it's it gives it gives them useful information for how to grow. It gives them humility. All of these things that are so useful and that, that will be so useful in their adult life. Uh, and another thing that we can do as parents is if, our, if we hear our children being a little overconfident maybe, um, and I know that this has happened with our eight-year-old when he, he said something like, I'm, I'm a really good artist and I, I draw things way better than Asa does. And I'll usually try to pull them aside and just be like, you know, Jaden, we all have our own unique expressions of these things. And some things that you do well, maybe Asa doesn't do well, but some things Asa does well, maybe you don't do well either. And that's part of who we are. That's part of our unique expression of the talents that we have. And so just entering those conversations and letting them know that, you know, we don't, we don't always have the same kind of prolif- prolific prolific that's not a word 
we don't all have the same amount of skill in, <laughs> no, in every area. You know, there are some things that are stronger for some and some things that are weaker for some. And that doesn't mean that we're not talented at those individual things. It just means that we have a different expression of those things. You know, the times that I try to be like another writer, like I try, um, you know, when you're first starting out, you read so much and sometimes you read authors who are just like, I want, I totally want to write like them, you know, but the times that I've tried to do that, it hasn't worked because I have my own unique expression of how yeah. words come out onto a page. And that doesn't mean that I'm not as talented as those, those other people. There's a reason that we have such diversity in books and art and things like that. And we need that. So encouraging those things for our children, but also helping them see that just because they're really good at this one thing doesn't mean that somebody else isn't either. And I think that can help with the overconfidence and that kind of thing. I was going to say too, with entitlement, I also think of um, people just believing that they deserve something just because they're them. And um, like a, a participation trophy. Right, exactly. And, you know, we live in a totally different world than we used to when we were kids where, you know, we when we ran track meets and stuff, only the top three people got a ribbon. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get a trophy for just showing up. <laughs> um, but I, one of the things that we can do to help with that kind of thing is just to show our kids how much work it takes. So, you know, just just helping them realize that if they want to be a great artist like Oliver Jeffers, then they have to be able to be willing to put in the work, you know? And sometimes it's not even just the work of art. It's like the work of business and the work, you know? Yeah. So th there's, there's a lot of work that goes into being a successful anything. Yeah. Those things that the, the artists whose works never see the light of day because they want to stay true to their art and aren't willing to do any of the other stuff. I mean, it's, it's such a big cultural issue really that, perpetuates a lot of this you know i mean we grew up in it and because we experience that and we don't many of us don't know any better we perpetuate these ideas mm -hmm. yeah so i think sometimes i'm on the opposite side of that i'm i'm not the parent who just encourages and, and says oh good job like sometimes if i if i see them being a little bit too confident i I will actually be on the other side of that, wanting to take them down a notch or something. No, <laughs> like, you think you're you think you're so good. You think you're good at drawing people. Look at mine. <laughs> Look at this. That's terrible. No, not not really. I mean, I mean well. I want humility. Well, for yeah, them because yeah. Humility you, is such a tremendous gift. You don't ever want your kid to be the one who's like, I'm better than everybody. So, yeah. All right. This was a good topic. Yeah. Rachel, mm -hmm. where can people go to find us online? In the boat with Ben.com. That's right. Go there now. Do it. You can listen and read show notes along with the podcast while you're listening. You can just listen to the podcast. You can stop the player and just listen or just read the notes. There are a lot of things that you can do there. You can also sign up for our email list. We will send you uh, once a week. Uh, a bulleted list of quick wins from the episode. So the the highlights, the really great takeaways, we put them right there in the email. So you can get those right to your inbox. The most recent 
email that went out had a special announcement in it. We just did it. It did. Did you see it? No, I didn't see the special announcement. Oh, okay, uh, it had a special announcement in it. We we just started. Uh, oh yeah, a I weekly. Did see it. Okay, yeah, we just started a weekly TV show in the boat with Ben TV, a weekly show, video show where we talk about a lot of the same things that we talk about here on the podcast. And you can, uh, we're, we're setting up in the boat with Ben.com slash TV. So if you go there, uh, you may, you may be able to see some of our episodes there. If you go to youtube.com slash in the boat with Ben, you can check out, we've got two brand new episodes up there right now. Yep. Or as of this recording, I believe it will be three. Yeah, probably. So we're, we're super excited about that. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff that we talk about, but it's, more engaging. We condense it quite a bit. So we just hit some of the major points and it's just a, it's a different way that you can interact with this content and, um, and interact with us. You know, if you leave comments, we respond and we want to, we want to have conversations with you and we want to know what you're struggling with. Yep. So, but that, that went out in the newsletter mm-hmm. and our, our newsletter subscribers heard about that. You know, who else heard about it? Who? The folks in the Sean West community, oh, which is also something that you should check out. In fact, you should go to seanwest.com slash conference and find out what this Sean West conference is about. It's super cool. It includes a year of membership when you purchase a ticket to the conference. The conference is going to be an incredible event. Mm -hmm. I'm so, I I can't tell you how excited I am for it. And I've also been invited to be one of the speakers at the conference. So I'm going to be um, speaking there as well. Awesome. Better you than me. And, and don't get me wrong. The, the, the speakers are phenomenal, including myself. I'm humble. <laughs> but some of the best value that you're going to get out of going to the conference is being around other like-minded people and the conversations and the relationships that will come out of that. It's going to be really amazing. And that also helps the, the community also helps make um, all of these podcasts that are on the network possible. Hmm. So definitely check that out. If you want to find Rachel, she is at racheltolson.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel Tolson and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Tolson. Good show, sir. I'm not a sir. No, I'm just, this is, it's the thing that I say. I take offense. Don't take offense. this is because of where we live or if it's just a kid thing because they're not good at talking yet. I I don't know, but it seems like
all of our children have these weird accents, like these these weird ways of saying things up to a certain age, and then it starts to become more normal. Yeah, our twins are like, I want milk. Ma- <laughs> like, where ma-yolk. did you hear milk? <laughs> Like that. I didn't realize. We don't, we don't say it like that. I didn't realize milk had two syllables. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Whatever pet name. Do I have a pet name, Ben? Where this isn't the after after show yet, Rachel. Oh. Milk. That's why That's why I was talking about the, what's another one? This is um, terrible. I don't, the twins have a lot of speech impediments. That are funny. Our six-year-old used to not be able to say the R in shirt. And Mm. we totally exposed that to a lot of different people because it was hilarious. And it it wasn't like an attempt at an R, you know, where the R was a double W like shirt. Yeah, it was really bad. It was, yeah, it was like he was saying. So we'd, we'd, uh, we'd have him say, oh, shirt. Yeah, you even sent a video to all of our family for Christmas that year with him saying, oh, shirt, Merry Christmas. Yeah. It was quite the hit. I I had him say things like, I can't take this shirt anymore. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to put up with your shirt. Yeah, or eat my shirt. I mean, we have all kinds of videos of this. It was pretty, pretty hilarious. <laughs> Oh yeah. Terrible. Poor kid. Yeah, we went we went through the fork thing with the twins. Oh yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Give me my mm-hmm. in the middle of a restaurant. Oh kids. Kids in your speech. <laughs> Jaden Jaden said the F word for something else though. Like what oh, was it? It was, it was something weird. Was no, it? I think it might have been frog, though. Maybe. Maybe. I can't remember. They've. Uh, I think the twins actually said the word one time. No, 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 no. It was Asa, our six-year-old. He said it because he was just rhyming different words, and then somehow he got to the F word, and he just kind of fixated oh, yeah. on that for a little bit. And he it was, was like duck rhymes with gluck rhymes with. Suck rhymes with. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. And we, you know, what do you do when your kid does that? I mean, we we if you if you freak out, yeah, it's we like, didn't freak oh, out. Look at look yeah. at the reaction I just yeah, got. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's um, yeah, the, there's definitely a conversation to be had about language. I I feel like we need to have you and I just as a family. We need to have a conversation about language. Yeah. It's there's so there's there's very much the a Western cultural uptightedness about <laughs> language in general that um many other cultures well I guess maybe not Western, it's it's American. Yeah. It's American. Probably so. America has a lot of that a, that a lot of other cultures things. are just like, oh, it's you know, whatever about like many things in America. Americans are pretty uptight about some things that they shouldn't be. Anyways, it's it's really interesting to me, you know, balancing culture against values or beliefs and all of that stuff when it comes to the language that we use. Mm-hmm. Anyways. It's fun. Yeah, another show. 
<laughs> a funny show. So somebody had said you need to have a uh, a different version of good show, sir, for this episode with whatever pet name you have for me. Is there a pet name you have for me? Um, I mean, I call you, call you baby. Yeah. What else do I call you? That's about it. I think. Good show, baby. Babe. Good show, babe. <laughs> Sounds kind of awkward. Good. Good show, baby. <laughs> I, can't I can't handle it. I can't make it. I can't make that smooth at all. I would. I would probably laugh. Good show, baby. <laughs> Mm. I've got tears falling down my eyes. Baby. <laughs> um, we've been doing a podcast together for a long time. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't. I, we, we do have to have some kind of a sign off thing. Yeah. Something. Good show, babe. Good show, love muffin. <laughs> no. Um, good show, hot pants. <laughs> no, Ben. What you? Hot pants. I think that's one, isn't it? No. <laughs> Is anybody else? Good show, sweet thing. <laughs> ben. Oh my gosh. <laughs>